again, friends. Thanks for tuning in. And you're in for an absolute treat. I'm sitting down today with the uh, award-winning director of a really blockbuster movie here at the Busan International Film Festival, Biff. And his name is Miki Dizaki. And his new movie is all about the issue between Japan and Korea. Uh, his movie is called Shinjuo, The Main Battleground of the Comfort Woman Issue. I'll read the bio here. It says, the comfort woman issue is no longer a matter of only Asian countries. A Japanese-American director digs deeper into the comfort woman issues and asks, does Japan have the legal obligation to apologize? So for those of you who don't know the history between Korea and Japan, which I didn't, um, you're going to learn all about it in this episode. Very, very fascinating. Plus, he lived for over a year as a monk in uh, Thailand as a, in a monastery and shut shares how he almost died and was there meditating on death and it was just kind of really really living a, a very interesting life so you're going to really enjoy this episode um and check out his movie you can follow his other productions that he's got coming down the line and enjoy the show Hey there, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, I want to invite you to check out this live video on YouTube. Go over to Quentin Carlin or Self-Developed Life on YouTube and watch the live video. And make sure you subscribe to the channel to see your next episode coming out this week. As well as subscribe to the podcast here. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe and share this with anyone you like. And if you do like it, please leave a five-star review and leave a comment that really helps us out to get the word out. And when you do do that, I'm offering you a free one-on-one -on -one coaching session. So if you are interested in chatting with me about anything and everything you would like to, go ahead and email me, quintoncarlin at gmail. My email is in the description below. And this is a offer for me to try and get to know you more and support any way I can as a thanks for supporting this show. So without further ado, enjoy the show and we'll see you on the next episode. All right, welcome everyone. We're here live on loca location at uh, Busan International Film Fest, BIF, and I'm here with one of the directors of the best movie I've seen so far <laughs> and uh, wanted to kind of get his time and I'm really grateful for his time. He's got a ton of press he's doing here, but he took some time out of his schedule to uh, discuss um, the topic of your movie. So, um, Mickey, welcome to the show. Thanks. And thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Um, so, if you want to just do a brief introduction and uh, sure, we'll get sure. into it. Uh, my name is Mickey. Uh, I made this film called Shusenjo, The Main Battleground of the Comfort Woman Issue. And it's about the Comfort Woman Issue. Um, for people who don't know about that, uh, it's basically... Um, comfort women refers to women who are used by Japanese soldiers um, as what some people think on the right wing, Japanese right wing side, as prostitutes, and the Koreans believe that they were sex slaves. So, um, comfort women is actually the most neutral term um, to use. Uh, so, this film is about kind of the political, historical debates that are going on. Um, with the issue. Uh, there have actually been many documentaries on the comfort women, sure. um, mainly on the testimonies of the women, mm. um, which are really important. But uh, at this point right now, many Japanese people don't believe these testimonies, so right. they don't care to watch these types of films. Right. And um, so I felt it was necessary to make a film that kind of tackled the... Um, the uh, 
I guess what some say the logical arguments yeah you know so um, yeah it's a long two-hour film on uh, went by very <laughs> fast though. Oh, did it? Did yeah it, did it really did yeah. especially for documentaries you know like I think the way that you edited it you had a lot of different um, it just moved along very fast you know oh, like wow, it, it was okay. just like uh, you know not a lot of long dialogues but you just had so many uh, resources that you shared and t can tell you put a ton of research into it yeah you know like I'm curious how long years. I was gonna ask yeah. three years three years <laughs> yeah res uh, I mean I couldn't say like one year of research and then two years of shooting or anything it was just a constant research process yeah while also interviewing and um, at the end I edited it in basically two months it took two months locked myself in my room yeah. basically and did the editing yeah. two months wow yeah. I was in physical pain basically Jeez. because I was I was not like doing physical exercise like I usually do so. well speaking of the physical pain what really kind of spoke to me and that was really you know not so so much shock well it was shocking actually but really interesting was the emotional pain that you went through with all the feedback from people that were literally kind of threatening you and right. your life and it was like a pretty intense because when you get governments involved and you get really strong right. political opinions and right, right. Well, actually, the topic of sex I like mean well okay so uh, the attacks are probably going to come now now the, that it's released the uh, the attacks from before were from my YouTube video. Right, because before you said that you were a YouTuber. So what were you kind of doing on YouTube to create uh, that? Well, I started out making uh, comedy videos. Okay. So I have a few comedy videos out there. Uh, that Do you want to share your channel? Uh, sure. It's Medama Sensei. M-E-D-A-M-A Sensei. I'll link it up in the description here. Yeah. And then, um, <laughs> so uh, I used to make comedy videos, and that's how I got some popularity they had about, you know, hundreds of thousands of views sure, of those well. videos. And then yeah. from that, I always, my goal in the end was to kind of talk about social issues in Japan. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, with that audience, I kind of pivoted and started talking about, uh, the first video I believe was, I interviewed a friend who was gay in Japan. Yeah. And um, I think it was one of the first videos on YouTube of a gay man talking about in Japan talking about his life right, wow. and how hard it is and stuff like that. Um, mm. That got a little bit of backlash. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was the racism in Japan one that really kind of yeah went it went nuts. Like they had the yeah it's like Washington Post started interviewing me, ABC News from uh, Australia wow. interviewed me for a radio. Yeah, it was like crazy. And, and how long ago was this before you, and then bef that was before you started on this movie project? Yeah. Okay. So I did that, I think in like 2013, and then this movie project started in 2015, okay. and in between that, wait, no, yeah, I was a monk in, be in between there somewhere. We'll get to that, <laughs> because that's a story I want to hear about, well, yeah, we'll so definitely I, get to that. That was like, uh a year in Thailand, and then I did uh, two years in grad school in Tokyo Okay. while I was uh, shooting the film and researching. And right, right. And talking about the pushback, like, 
me as a foreigner living in Asia for you know about seven eight years, um, I didn't really know much about the history. I knew that there was tension between Japan and Korea. Right. I didn't know why or what was really the underlying issues of it. Mm -hmm. So me watching your film, I was like, okay, now I'm starting to put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. And how, how has the response been from you know Koreans and Jap? You know, like what's oh, right. what's kind of the take on? Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on where people fall on the political spectrum, I guess. Yeah. So I've had some private screenings in Korea and Japan oh, yeah. at universities. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, actually, even right-wingers tend to appreciate the balance of the mm. film. Right. Because... You do good, do a good job. It's not like you know, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, it's yeah. it's well so, presented. Um, yeah, they have you know, uh, they appreciate that I think more than um, other films in the past that have been solely very like left wing and right. never presenting the counter arguments and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they they like that. Um, I actually had a Japanese student, uh, university student, say that. Um, he, it was the first time he had ever heard the left-wing side because mm. the mainstream uh, in Japan right now is the right-wing arguments. Do you want to do you want to maybe just do a quick like you know um, summary of the history of like the political side like who's um, the left who's the right what's their take just people who aren't so, like myself that weren't familiar with it before. So right now I would say uh, the Liberal Democratic Party which it sounds liberal but it's the LDP, um, they're actually the right wing. Mm -hmm. And then um, I guess the terms are kind of difficult because when you say left wing, it refers to kind of more like extremist left. Sure. So I wouldn't want to say that, but um, it tends to be, there is like a kind of fragmented um, opposition party in Japan, but it's not very strong, and okay. um, it's mixed in with like the Communist Party. But right. um, I would say Communist Party in Japan isn't like the communists that you would think of. Right. They're more just they're probably like your left wing in the U.S. or Canada. Okay. You know, like yeah, yeah, um, cool. Yeah, no, I just wanted to kind of create that uh, um, contrast there. Right. Right. Um, right. And uh, the thing that really shocked me was the volume and numbers of women that were apparently mm. involved. Like right, they were right. saying up to two hundred thousand. Right, right. But there was also discrepancies there sure, as far as sure. you know what was really, you know. But still, two hundred thousand. Even if it was like what they said, like you know, forty thousand. It's still a ton. Right, of women right. being. So know. yeah, that's the thing with the the uh, numbers. Uh, they're used very politically, mm -hmm. and I would say that uh, interestingly, um, uh, the most famous conservative uh, historian, mm -hmm. I think his first estimate in the '90s was like ninety thousand, and then now he's like dropped it down over the years as he's become more and more like right wing. Okay. Um, man, I want to say he said like 13,000 or something like that. Like really low number. Yeah. So it's like, why did he change that? You know, um, right. it doesn't make sense because 
there hasn't been any more new information as mm-hmm. to how you estimate it. Yeah. Basically, it's based off of that ratio yeah. um, of 100 to 1 or right. 29 to 1. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting breakdown. And for people who haven't seen it, not really sure what they're talking about with these women are women from Korea that were brought to Japan to be basically used and exploited. Uh, not brought to Japan. Brought in the battlefields. Oh, the battlefields. I'm sorry. Of, yeah, yeah. like all over Asia. All over Asia. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I remember seeing the map and it was like Okinawa. So they were, that was just some of the bases then. Right, right, yeah. right. All over, yeah. All over to East be Asia. to East be Asia. used for the soldiers sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, um, very intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, it's it's a it's a really controversial topic in Japan and Korea I think and um, if you start talking about the comfort women issue uh, people will kind of like feel you out yeah like based off of like what words you use okay so like if you say sex slave then they'll be like oh okay if if you're talking to a Korean person they'll be like okay he's on our side oh yeah yeah yeah, I see but if you're like comfort women and then maybe you lean towards saying that they might be prostitutes or something, then they'll be like, oh, this guy's right wing. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, And the thing that we were kind of talking about before was how the Japanese government is literally kind of, I don't want to say strong arm, but taking or attempting to take that out of the history books. They already have. And they have. So that was like (laughs) the big thing that was happening there. Yeah, yeah. So that's been going on since 1997. Mm. And... um, yeah, now it's, in 2012, they had completely erased it. Now, in I think in 2017, there's one textbook that kind of mentions it, but it's like nothing, yeah. you know, really. So, um, yeah, it's just uh, just an ongoing history battle, yeah. uh, battle of, like, memory. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. What you choose to decide, or what you decide to remember is uh, really important. One thing that's really interesting that just came up as a, in a project I was affiliated with last year, that Wikipedia, we, they were trying to put all Wikipedia history onto a blockchain where mm. the, it can't be edited. You know, like once that's uploaded, you can't go back and re-edit or take things out. And okay. I think that the future of information will be blockchain-based and mm-hmm. it will kind of stop governments to be able to go back and change, literally yeah. change and edit history. Huh. Um, so that was an interesting project I was kind of uh, That That would be on. interesting just because um, I'm not totally against changing history based off of new information. Yeah. And um, the thing is, is that that's the right-wing revisionist, historical revisionist argument. They're saying, well, we have new information and that's why we're changing history. Right. But the problem is, is that the information that they have that's new, it's not new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Historians have actually known about it. Right. It's just that they're cherry picking yeah. certain things and creating a narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So, exactly. um, yeah, historians have kind of known about the revisionist arguments for a while. Um, they just couldn't be bothered with it mm-hmm. um, because, you know, they're scholars and they're yeah. writing books academia yeah <laughs> um let's uh pivot for a second mm-hmm. um how does one go ahead and create a movie or a film 
mm. and get into a festival like this like for people that are wanting to have an idea like you yeah. and they were like hey I want to get this out what's that process like like I was just talking to a guy earlier before this movie an Indian director or producer from uh, from India mm-hmm. and he just got his movie um, financed for Netflix or something oh uh, yeah I'm gonna follow up with him. I, th- I didn't I, it was a quick conversation he gave me his card and he's like because I'm gonna do an interview with him okay. about that as well because yeah. I want to learn how he got onto Netflix basically and what that process is like but for you like what was the process to yeah. get into a featured film festival like this yeah so I mean as an independent filmmaker um, I didn't have any financial backing from anywhere and sure. that that was important for this film in particular because I didn't You're want anybody biased. to yeah, influence right. yeah. the film uh, so I did crowdfunding oh cool um, and it was on a shoestring budget can I ask um, how much was raised uh, 26,000 wow I think. awesome but uh, Kickstarter takes like 10%, so okay. I ended up getting like 23 or something like that, you know. Okay, yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, but that's really not enough for a film. Yeah, especially three years of your life <laughs> right, right, going right. into it. So what were you doing, um, I guess, professionally or for I your I was in career? grad school. Okay. So luckily I had a scholarship at the time. Yeah. And uh, I was living off of that, and then um, the, the Kickstarter money was helping with the film. Got it. Um, but yeah, like the process of getting from starting to getting to here is a super long process. Yeah. It's uh, actually a lot more challenging than I expected it. Or I, bet, yeah. I probably should have, I, I underestimated how much work it is actually. Sure. Yeah. And it's like um, any kind of new endeavor, you know? Like yeah, it's, yeah. If you people see, are like, oh yeah, I'm going to start a business, you know? And then just like. <laughs> I mean, if you Six see, months later, you're just like, oh, you see yeah. the credits of the film, it's like, oh, it's crazy. Mickey, Mickey, Mickey. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why is because I didn't know, I had to do it myself because I didn't know that that even had to be done. Yeah. And then There's I had to so like, learn how to scenes. do it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. for instance, um, I think I mentioned this in the, in the talk, but uh, you make a film on Premiere, like some editing uh, software and you export it as like an mp4 or something like that, right? Okay. Or a MOV file. That cannot be played in a movie theater. Huh. You have to make a thing called DCP, which is Digital Cinema Pack uh, okay. Projection, I think. And that is also a digital file, but um, it costs, if you ask somebody to do it, it ranges from $1,000 to $2,000. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the money to yeah. do that. So, but you can do it yourself. Okay. And it takes a lot of research and figuring it out. It actually takes a long time mm-hmm. to convert. So taking the MP4 MOV file, it takes ten hours on your computer to convert. So you just have to like let your computer run, Do its thing, which yeah. I was like so anxious about because we have earthquakes in Japan. Uh, so yeah, I I'm I'm running like spinning discs, you know, like yeah. hard drives and if it shakes, it can scratch and then uh, fail, wow. you know. So I'm like like sitting like almost like sitting Pacing, there for 10 hours. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, each time. Yeah. And uh, the thing is is that you can't test the DCP on your computer. You have to film it in a theater kind of I or, rented a theater three yeah. times. Oh wow. To That's crazy. see to test if it works. Wow. So yeah. how, how much does it cost to rent a theater? Out of curiosity, uh, you have to buy out all the seats. Or one, a small like? one? No, it's, it, it's a really small theater. Okay. Um, it was only a hundred bucks an hour. Okay. But um, to, to maximize time. that time, I would sp- cut up my film 
to see different parts of it. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. To make sure make the sure colors okay. are good yeah. and then the sound is good. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I had to rent it three times because the first time was for the picture, yeah. and the other two times were for the sound. Got it. Um, so yeah. yeah, that's just that in itself. It's called DCP mastering. Yeah. That's a job. Well, that's somebody's job, and I had to like learn how to do that before I got here. So I yeah. thought I would be done making the film. Yeah. And, and then just, you just like, you know, send it as a Dropbox file. Here's yeah, the, here, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then they say like, no, 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 you need to make a DCP. And I'm like, oh, okay. Google. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then, and then I, I made a DCP once and then I realized, uh, well, they sent me an email here and they were like, it has to be in 5.1 surround. My, I filmed in stereo. Yeah. Okay. And so you need a special converter to convert okay. it to 5.1. And that, that was insanely difficult because yeah. it sounds is really really that's why I, every like forum you go on they're like hire a sound guy yeah yeah yeah. if you ask them how to like do it they're right. just like hire yeah, a sound just, guy yeah do yourself a favor <laughs> yeah. so luckily I can only, it turned out well i can only imagine like i don't hardly do any editing on this new youtube channel because i've tried it and i'm just like no i'm just going raw with it because it's, it's lot, just it's so much it's a lot of it's hours. so much um but you I, know the end result like me and my assistant producer were watching it the first night, and we were just like, oh my god, this is amazing. Cool. You know, it's not... It's worth it. Well, it, it didn't fail or yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. you know, like, all that work, yeah. you know, and we're Thankfully. now finally seeing it on the big screen, and, like, people are watching it. Who, and loving you know, it. Yeah, you got, you got yeah, great feedback, like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, people <laughs> at the show I was at, like, everyone yeah. stand ovation, and it's really, really good. That was cool that that history teacher brought his whole class there, too. Yeah, that was really cool, the yeah. French guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's kind of look at what you talked about in the beginning, what you mentioned about your monk life, because that's something I'm, like, super interested okay. in. Okay. <laughs> and, like, how did that come about? Because I've done Vipassana 10-day silent meditation retreats right. multiple times. Right, okay. And, like, I'm, like, You're super... Are talking about Goenka? Sorry? Are you talking about Goenka retreats? Goenka. The one I did was Vipassana. Right, the but Pasana? the guy's name is going. Oh, right? yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've done it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like everybody uh, who's serious about meditation it should does. do a 10 day yeah, yeah, yeah. Goenka retreat. So, what, and what was your, so you were there for a year in Thailand, yeah. correct? Yeah. And what was that process like? Like, just, uh, like well, that's something I would I, love to do. Before going to Thailand, I worked in um, Japan as a teacher. And I chose Japan because I wanted to go to Thailand, like, on my breaks oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to kind of feel it out. Sure. So over five years, I would go to different temples and feel out the temples, and they would yeah. feel me out, I guess, yeah. to see if I was a good fit for mm -hmm. that temple. And then, um, yeah, I mean, actually, maybe I should go back a little bit. I was a pre-med major oh, okay. in university, and uh, I was going to go to medical school, but decided not to... Uh, because I wanted to be a monk and then my mom was super pissed about that mm. she didn't want that at all and then uh, what happened was she was like well you should live in the world at least as a regular person so yeah. you know the struggles of a regular person so that if you were to help somebody you would know what they're going through I guess. Yeah. so that was I think her little kind of way of keeping me in the world still and at the same time hoping maybe I'd find like a girlfriend right, or, you yeah. know and then like forget the whole monk thing you know <laughs> um, but over the years uh, yeah I, I still 
like knew I wanted to be a monk. And then after the five years in Japan, I became a monk. Um, uh, yeah, at a temple that I had kind of visited uh, off and on sure. uh, through that, uh, or while I was in Japan. What was the hardest part or the biggest challenge of becoming a monk? In beco- becoming a monk is not difficult. Yeah. It's it's Doing staying it. there every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very intense. Yeah. Like, uh, I was in the mountains of Chiang Mai oh, yeah. in the forest, okay. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was only six monks in my temple. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, you know, you, you don't have music, you don't have TV to watch. Yeah. You know, like, there's no running away from yourself. all the demons. Yeah, yeah yourself. Right. So, yeah. uh it's just a very intensive kind of atmosphere right. to be in and it's romanticized and I think even me, I, I think I had some kind of romantic view of it as well at mm-hmm. the beginning, but um, living in the forest is hard. I could do it if it was around the water and ocean, but being separated from that, I think that'd be one of my most, like I love the water, like right, just right. going in. Like well, a, I mean, what I meant by hard is that Everything in the forest wants to kill you. Oh, you're thinking, oh, that, yeah. There's snakes, there's... I got bit by something, I don't know what it was, but I got. I went into anaphylactic shock. So I didn't... I'm not allergic to bees, but I got stung by something, and then um, I went into anaphylactic shock. And it's not like there's a hospital at the end of the block there? Like it's, No, it uh, took like an hour <laughs> to get there, yeah. Luckily, wow. luckily, I don't know how... But like there was a nurse who was doing her own like personal retreat at the temple. Oh, okay, wow. And she recognized it. She was like, "Yeah, you're going into anaphylactic shock. You should, wow. you should uh, go see it." And then like my windpipe was closing and stuff. You know. Scary. And that's where you talked about your your near death experience. Like after that. Yeah, you yeah. Kind of look at things differently. Uh, yeah. Well, not just that, but I was I was actually meditating on death yeah, for a okay. long time, yeah. and then that happened. And um, yeah, so just kind of death is always there in the wild the wilderness you know like you see things die um you realize you can die as well Mm -hmm. having those experiences and um yeah it's just uh i don't know kind of this natural part of life that you have to face that us in the west never really look at you know well, I'll share this with you. Two weeks ago, I was in the emergency room. Oh. I couldn't breathe. I choked on... I was just at home Sunday night, 11 o'clock, having a late dinner and watching Netflix. Next thing I know, I can't breathe. I had a huge fishbone lodged in my throat and I just panicked. And my literally scooter saved my life because I grabbed my keys, jetted out, jumped on my scooter, and I just ripped to the hospital that's luckily at the end of my block, basically, like a couple blocks, like under a five-minute drive away. And I went in like this. It threw me out and shoved something down my throat, pulled it out. It's like the scariest thing I went through, man. This is like two weeks ago. That's crazy. Yeah. Especially yeah. since, you know, if you don't have that much breath, you're. No, I could only get, get a little bit of breath. I couldn't weak. breathe through my mouth at all. I could just take a little bit of breath through my nose. Right. So, like, and you can't really breathe. Right. Like, do, try doing that. It's right, hard. Right. So, you're getting weaker and weaker as you're trying to yeah, get to the was, hospital. And, and I was doing research. Choking is the fourth cause of death. It's the co- yeah, like number one is like you know cancer, and then car accidents, and fourth is just people alone choking to death. It's you know, what's interesting awful. is like when you think about death. Oftentimes, we think about you know how you, you kind of imagine how you would die or 
want to die. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's always this, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's always this very uh, egotistical thing, actually. Mm, so you mm-hmm. want to be, you want to die with your loved ones around you or something, yeah. or like maybe gloriously, you know, like yeah. a martyr, right. you know? Yeah. Um, but the, the reality is you could die in a very, very embarrassing way. Yeah. Yeah. You like know? it's funny because I've traveled to about like 35 countries, been in a lot of near death experiences just through like extreme <laughs> lifestyle living. And uh, I was like, this chicken, this fishbone could have, this little yeah. thing could have killed me after everything yeah. else I've done, yeah. like craziness, you know, like surfing, massive wave, bungee Which jumping, all cool. this stuff. Which would have been cool. It would have been cool. They would have been like, oh, that guy, he died, but man, the wave was <laughs> Yeah, awesome. exactly. But with this, it was like a little bone, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was like embarrassing, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I thought about that, actually, when, uh, yeah. when I was in Thailand. They have these big water buffalo, and um, we were, there was some kind of like, festival or something of like lights or whatever like they they light the so the community came to the mm. temple and is it the lantern they light lantern. up and they go they put not it the, the ones that go oh, up okay. they were going into the water oh cool yeah, i've seen was, that before actually <coughs> it was a different one yeah, 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 yeah so um we go from the temple to kind of we go through like these rice paddies and then there's like a little river and in the rice paddies are water, water buffalo just kind of hanging out mm. and um, we have lights and we have um, flashlights, you know, to get around because it's pitch black. Yeah, like for sure. In the middle of the hand, yeah, in know? the middle of the yeah. yeah. And um, I shine the light because I didn't know what was on my left, and I kind of shine my light on this water buffalo, and it's like creeping up, wow. and it looks pissed, <laughs> pissed. These things are gigantic. They look like cars. I mean, they're yeah, the size huge, of cars. Yeah, buff, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen real buffalo, Trucks. like bison in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't have, I've never seen a water buffalo, like but I can really like imagine. Yeah. They've got these sharp, you know, kind of horns. Jeez, and I awful. was like, I could die. Yeah. You know, I could die by getting impaled by a water buffalo Jeez. as a monk. What a way As a to go. monk, yeah. You know, like, well, how do, how do and you explain how, how it to your fi- mom? You how know? fitting that would be because you're there meditating on death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exactly. part of your practice. Exactly. Well, what did you, so um, <clears throat> with with that, <clears throat> what did you kind of come to your, your realization of <clears throat> your intention <clears throat> of focusing on death and afterlife? And oh, like, like what that. did I realize after yeah. meditating on yeah. death? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's like a, realization per se it's more of kind of a acceptance or comfort you know with mm-hmm. death mm-hmm. and um, uh, under like kind of like a understanding of what it might mean to die and why or what it means kind of to live as well in a certain sense because <clears throat> In one of my like meditations that I had, I went and I felt, uh, yeah, I was meditating on death, and I felt this very strong desire to hold on to life. Mm, yeah. I didn't know what it was, but I, I wasn't willing to let go yeah. of my life, and um, I wonder, uh, the Buddha, you know, says like. Um, basically, you know, it's your desire uh, that causes suffering and, you know, all these mm. things. And basically, the reason why you're born is because you have this desire to, like, live. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if 
that was the feeling I was having was like that fundamental desire yeah, to like to want to live, yeah. you know, and I think um, that's basic human nature, you know, <clears throat> like just like yeah. But yeah. Uh, it was an interesting feeling because um, you don't really think. I mean, until you're like faced with death, you never really think that you like really want to live, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, um, it shows you how precious life is, you know. Like I was watching this movie last night. Have you? Did you see Shy Town? No, I haven't. No, no, really good movie, man. It was about this NBA player from Chicago, like growing up in the ghetto, mm-hmm. and it was basically like a documentary about all of his friends that were killed, mm-hmm. in like you know drug gangs or going to prison. And the biggest shock was like when he he was just went away to a semester at college to go play basketball, and then he just gets a phone call that his dad had a massive heart attack and was dead. Oh, just yeah. like that at like 55 years old right and like as soon as they said that like that's my biggest fear like I'm an only mm. child like my parents are just like the only family you know like mm. and like just to show how fast it could happen you know yeah. like it's just it's, it's terrifying yeah so every day I would reflect on the fact that I could die today yeah right well wow. right that's actually one of the five recollections that you're supposed to have as a monk um, what are the other ones uh, I actually have them on my Phone. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I should like know them by heart, but like I'm too tired right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, first one is I'm sure to be old, become old, yeah. and then uh, so you cannot avoid aging, mm-hmm. and then I'm sure to become ill, I cannot avoid illness. Uh, I'm sure to die, I cannot avoid death. These are pretty depressing so far. <laughs> uh, I must be separated from everything I love at some point. Wow. Um, and I am the owner of my actions and heir to my actions. Basically, you reap what Personal you sow. Personal responsibility, yeah. You know? So these are the five things that the Buddha said that monks should reflect on every single day. Um, and uh, yeah, I do, I do reflect on these things. What's your daily meditation practice like now? Uh, of now I don't have as much time. I mean, I was meditating like 10 hours a day wow. <laughs> at the temple, but like, yeah, I don't have as much time now, but um, yeah, I just do stuff like this, kind of, rec- you know, re- you know, recalling or contemplating these kinds of things in the morning, and, um, uh, oftentimes what's interesting is when you, when you meditate on death, you have a great sense of gratitude for life. Right. Naturally it comes. Yeah, yeah, so you I don't totally ha- agree. you don't have to kind of be like, oh, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that. It's just natural. It just comes, yeah. you know. I, I can attest to that. I actually did a podcast episode, like, literally right when I left the hospital that mm-hmm. night, um, after just almost, like, you know, choking death, and I just, like, was just kind of, like, verbal, you know, just spewing mm-hmm. my thoughts of just, like, wow, like, I'm alive, like, I'm just, like, so <laughs> grateful, and then the crazy thing was, is, like, literally, like, um, I've always wanted to do this, just book a ticket, like, an international ticket, mm-hmm. somewhere, anywhere, the mm-hmm. day that it was leaving. Okay. And I did that that same week. Really? So like, Where'd you go? Uh, Friday I finished work at one o'clock. Uh, I booked a ticket at three o'clock, and I was flying to Taiwan at like six o'clock. Okay. Just like three wow. hours before the flight left, wow. and I went wow. to Taiwan for like seven days. Last week, this is like a week. Like I was in Taiwan last week. It's pretty nice. So I just did it, you know, just like why not, you know, like nice. I, you don't know how long you have, and it's yeah. it just kind of like puts things in a perspective. So. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I think that's. Um, Part of the reason why I made the film as well 
is you really don't know how long you have left and yeah. you might as well even though it's really really difficult I yeah. don't want to turn people off from making films or whatever it is very oh, very difficult imagine. it takes yeah. a long time to do yeah for sure but you know um, you have one life yeah you might as well try to do something yeah. that you think is cool yeah. and that's all that matters is, is if you yeah. think it's cool who right. cares what everyone else thinks or says like right. if you want to go and you know live in a monastery or if yeah. you want to go surfing the biggest waves in the world or whatever right. you know like people watching whatever you want to do like just fucking do it because like you know you don't know there might be a water buffalo or you might get stung <laughs> by something in the middle of the forest in Thailand or you might right. ch choke on your next meal you know so um, man I think that's a good way to kind of wrap this up I want to be right. mindful yeah. of your time and yeah, yeah. Um, is there is there anything else you want to share about the, the film or your experience in Busan or what, what you're looking at next the next project or anything like that um yeah, I mean, just uh, this is the beginning. Awesome. This is actually really the beginning of what's going to happen. So, I don't know. I might get deported from Japan. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you never but know. I, I actually, I don't think that Japanese people will hate this movie as much as um, some of them hated my YouTube video. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's uh, you know, I gave the right wing a voice in this film so well, and I didn't twist their words or anything so yeah no absolutely and and this is me I don't know really anything about all this this is my first time learning about this so I'm just like trying to hear from every everyone like I'm just students of the world basically um, on that subject talking about things like Alex Jones people like getting D you know like mm -hmm. people have a right to share right. their opinion right. um, but it seems like a lot of governments like you say now or, mm -hmm. or big big business and big data and stuff are just like kind of clamping down on that as a Jones not being able to yeah and just like a podcast anymore you well, well not just that like a lot of people that are sharing their views politically are getting literally like kind of death threats and mm, stuff right, like that yeah. like it's it's a pretty heavy and it takes a lot of balls to do what you did mm. and other people that are out there standing up for what they believe um, so so yeah yeah I don't about the Alex Jones thing, I'm not sure how I feel about that one yet. Yeah. Because um, I'm definitely not for censorship. Yeah. Um, although I don't think Alex Jones is like stuff is always the best right. thing yeah, in the yeah. world, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of yeah. It's I, just I, the I, principle of it. You right. Know? Like, exactly. Yeah. That's what yeah, I meant yeah, by yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I hope that uh, you know people go and check out your your future work, your current Thank past you. stuff, Thank and you. I yeah. think that. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I'm glad that uh, it worked out. And like I said, you know, you're going back to Japan this weekend. I'm going to Seoul tomorrow. Yeah. So I'm glad that we okay. got this. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm going for a conference for three days. So okay, cool. this is kind of the window that we had. So I appreciate cool. you for yeah, uh, coming you. on out. Thank you. Appreciate cool, it. Cool, man. Yeah. All the best. Thanks. You yeah. too. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, go ahead. Leave a comment. I'll have um, Mickey's information below. Have a look at some of his projects and other uh, content he's created. Go ahead and follow him to find out what he's up to. And once again, subscribe, share this, like it, and see you on the next episode. Peace. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode. And before you leave, two things. First, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, I'm offering a free one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me to talk about anything and everything you want. Confidential, we get on the phone and we just connect. If you'd like to do that, two things. Go ahead, leave a five-star review on iTunes for this podcast. Write a quick little review, then go over to YouTube search Quentin Carlin or Self-Developed Life, subscribe to the channel. And once you do that, send me an email, quintincarlin at gmail.com. 
My email is in the description below and we'll set up a time to connect. This is limited time offer. I don't know how long I can continue to offer this for, but I'm definitely doing this now for those of you who help support the show. I want to support you back. So go ahead, take care of that, reach out to connect, and I look forward to getting on a call with you as soon as possible. Have a great day. See you on the next episode.